Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and it is now firmly May. Jim, I'd like to uh, say congratulations, and I'm sorry you did not win the Kentucky Derby earlier this month, but you put in a valiant effort coming in. I believe it was fourth. It was muddy, Len. It was really muddy. And I <laughs> swear to God, my jockey ate a very big lunch. Eddie <laughs> Arcar Jr. Uh, wishes to send his thanks for you as well for running a uh, good race. I appreciate that. All right, James. Uh, so I was just in Epcot a couple of days ago, and I'd like to talk about that and some Star Wars news that we have. How about we do my visit to Epcot first? That sounds fine. Let's go. All right. So Laurel and I decided to stay at Boardwalk Villas a couple nights ago. We haven't stayed there in a while. You know that the villas now have undergone refurbishment. They've got that hardwood floor finish on it now, new soft goods, new remodeled bathrooms. Everything looks really good over at the Boardwalk Villas. I got to say, they've also managed to get rid of that sort of Jack Nicholson in Shining Hallway <laughs> sort of feel. You remember the old hallways at the Boardwalk Villas, right, Jim? You would be walking down them. They weren't dimly lit, but they were sort of dark. Yeah. The villas, you're wandering through it like you're going through a maze. Yeah, and the corners were very tight on my big wheel. <laughs> get out there looking for twins. And you no, know, but I get what you're talking That's about. exactly yes. it. You're walking yeah. down the hallway. You expect yeah. to turn a corner and see twins with an elevator behind them. But it's definitely freshened up. They've lightened the whole mood of the place. I really, really liked the villas this time. We had a great view. We had a view of the Friendship Boat Waterway mm -hmm. into Epcot and sort of the back walkway. We could see the, the swan in the distance. It was really nice. And we, uh, we made it over to Epcot through the International Gateway. And James, mm -hmm. the first thing I looked at, <laughs> the first thing I looked at when I walked past the landing station for the Skyway is, how many turnstiles do they have going in and out of this place? And? Assume they've got four. <laughs> four. <laughs> there are exactly four tap styles going into the park. There are exactly four turnstiles going out of the park. Mm -hmm. That's what they've got. Now, I did have a couple of people at Disney reach out, and after they finished swearing at me... <laughs> oh, you too? Yeah. It was one of these things where they... Now, you understand that this is no longer turnstile. This is tap. Tap style, yes. Tap when style, When people yeah. are leaving the park, they won't tap. They will simply pour out through these four very wide gates. And I get that. I took a picture, James. I don't know that four is large enough. But go ahead, good. Let's, let's hear Disney's side of the story first. Well, no, 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 no. It just, that was the point. It was like, you know, that there aren't turnstiles. They are just going to flow through these these things. Like money through the hands of Bob Iger. That's <laughs> gonna just, it's just going <laughs> to pour forth. I've had attorneys that put together better arguments. They were talking about, well, you understand there's eight people per cab. And we dispatch a new cab every 21 seconds. And it was just, it's clearly something they're sensitive about. And then I made the mistake of bringing up the Central Florida weather. And then that became all about, well, we're going to use the exact same network, the early warning system that we use for our parades, we use for our daytime shows that, you know, whether we have to cancel them due to weather or that sort of thing. It's one thing to say uh, the Donald Duck parade float isn't going to go out on Main Street today. It's another to say we've got 500 people suspended in midair. Somewhere between the boardwalk and the Caribbean beach. Yeah. 
It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I mean, it's the phrase, trust me, came up a lot. I've been getting that a lot from them lately. Yeah, I know. I, you know, no, no, I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's just, I wish I, the, the problem with trust me mm-hmm. is, at least from my perspective, we've gone so many years where it was basically radio silence on their end. Mm-hmm. For them to say, trust me, I would have liked to have had a more back and forth relationship before you get to that. Yeah. But all right, that's fine. Okay. I, I did verify, Jim, though, that it is four turnstiles, four lanes okay. going out of the park. And I know Disney's saying that they'll be fine. I'm, I'm not yet convinced. And the reason why I'm not convinced is you've got scooters, you've got all sorts of families walking around. One scooter hits the turnstile the wrong way. Somebody's battery isn't fully charged on their ECV. And one lane gets clogged up, then what? Mm. Right? But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I would not be surprised to see some work happening over there. Now, given that you were up that end of the property, did you manage to make it down into Future World? Because I don't know. I did. Okay. I don't know if you managed to see the video that Disney put up online. Of the like second largest concrete pour in the world? There we go. Behind the, the now famous Jimmy Hoffa scene in... <laughs> Was that the largest? I'm blanking. Who remembers New Jersey history going back that far? All right, but anyway, but it was massive. They did. Uh, it was like it like nine hour pour of concrete, and it was the, continuous. Uh, Disney doing this in the front window, three football fields worth of concrete, and so much yeah, rebar and that sort yeah. of thing. You know, just giving you a sense of the size and the scale of what the Galaxy's Edge ride is going to be like. And at the same time, when you're doing a coaster, you really need good, strong concrete for your base because if, God forbid, the concrete cracks, you then can have some secondary issues. But I was hearing these stories coming out of Shanghai uh, when they were working on Disneyland Shanghai about they had to tear up the foundations for a number of the show buildings because... They could not, in fact, support the weight. And so this is kind of a bold thing to put in the front window because when you get it wrong and you have to bring the jackhammers out, this is going to be kind of public. God love them. I mean, I I love the fact they put it in the front window, but this has the bite you in the ass potential of great size. I think it'll be fine. I think we're we're doing the one that said that part of the problem with uh, with Shanghai was just the quality of the the materials and the, the labor over there. And I don't think they have the same problem in the U.S. Well, Knockwood. Yeah. Literally, was it 900 dump trucks full of concrete? I mean, again, very, very impressive. Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled that they did it, and especially for those of us who are going to be tracking this project for the next two years. Yeah. But yeah, that's one big building out there. And that, but see, that's the show building. And that's the thing that people really need to understand about the Energy Pavilion, Ellen's Energy, that is load, unload, queue, and gift shop. And that's pretty much it. Don't plan on any show scenes in that space, except for the stuff that you get in the queue that sort of establishes the world you're about to go into. So it's going to be queue, load, unload, yep. shop, yep, and that's it. Yep. It's a big building for that. Well, I totally get that, but it's just, this is the thing about this coaster. And that's the other thing. They keep touting this is one of the world's largest indoor coasters. Yeah. With all sorts of show scenes. And that's the thing. Gunn honestly can't wait to start talking about this. And Disney legal keeps sitting on him. It's like, you know, James, shut up. Don't give it away. (laughs) 
you can shoot your show scenes when you're doing Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which there is going to be a heavy film video component, and but it will oh, be shot okay. on that. set. All right, so I still haven't seen Infinity War yet, so don't tell me uh, if there's anything that affects... Rosebud Wazoo's sled. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. He was a ghost the entire time in the movie Lent. Last little bit of, uh, of Epcot news before we move on to, yep. uh, to something else. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at how visible the structures over at Coronado Springs and Caribbean Beach are slash will be for Epcot. So you can see the construction cranes from mm-hmm. all over property for both of those things. But the size of that tower over at Coronado Springs, Jim, huge Mm. i mean you could see it from you definitely see it from the boardwalk and i imagine that there are places within epcot that you'll be able to see it as well that's going to have a a direct view into the fireworks uh evening fireworks for epcot right we're talking riviera or we're talking Uh, that's over at caribbean beach but also the coronado i would imagine that if the fireworks are even the least bit visible above the tree line you should be able to see something from there at the universal press event that nate and i were at last week they were talking about the rooftop restaurant that they're going to have at the Aventura, Aventura, which faces into the park. So the same thing. You can watch Universal's new nighttime lagoon show with fireworks, which by the way, that if you saw the platforms that they did for World of Color out in California at California Adventure, the setup for the new lagoon show at at Universal is going to look very familiar. But uh, same thing. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to me that we have Inside of one 18-month window, we have three hotels being built, all of which feature rooftop restaurants, which are going to be orientated in such a way that you can watch the nighttime light show with the volcano in Volcano Bay. Or in the case of Coronado, though, my understanding is that while, yes, from there you can see fireworks on the horizon at the Magic Kingdom and over at Epcot, but they're really stressing that you can get a pretty spectacular view of the nighttime Star Wars-themed show that will be happening. What's weird about that is the area where the fireworks are being lit off from is actually on the other side of World Drive. Yeah, I was going to say, at uh, Coronado, that's farther down the road from the studios. You'll be sitting up there with your, your adult beverage watching the fireworks and seeing that the park and the fireworks don't quite line up, but it's like, look, it's... From inside the park, the view is fine. From you on your rooftop, yeah, it's a little cattywampus, but, you know, it'll be fine. But same thing with the Riviera, that from up there, yes, you're going to get a wonderful view of the fireworks or the illumination window on the world, but a little off to the side. But a couple of adult beverages, who's going to care? You'll be seeing double anyway by then, so it'll be fine, twice as much. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, why don't we uh, take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and talk about some new Star Wars, Galaxy's Edge, stuff that we've just learned about. All right? Will do. And we're back. All right, Jim, first things first, a quick correction. Remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about a new patent that Disney had filed around augmented reality for what we thought was self-driving cars? And this patent said that you could see images out your window of movie scenes that weren't really there. And I think the analogy we gave was Iron Man flying next to you mm-hmm. as you're taking your self-driving car around Disney property. Do you remember that? Vaguely, yes. Mm-hmm. It turns out we were wrong, so you don't have to think very hard. Um, oh, good. But not on the technology, but mm-hmm. on where and what it was going to be used for. So a Disney insider 
mm-hmm. said it's not going to be used for the self-driving cars. It was demonstrated for the monorail. And mm-hmm. here's the idea. Okay. Imagine you're on the monorail mm-hmm. and you're going to one of the theme parks. Let's say you're going to Epcot and you're coming up to Epcot, right? Mm-hmm. You can see the spaceship Earth out the window. But then perhaps with some augmented reality, Spaceship Earth becomes the Death Star. And out in front of that, you see X-Wing fighters and TIE fighters fighting around the Death Star as you approach it from the monorail. That was the demonstration, as I understand it, that was given inside Disney for this technology. Which sounds wonderful, except for the fact that isn't this kind of like putting icing on icing? Aren't you supposed to just be happy to be in the monorail and looking out at Spaceship Earth? It's well, like... It could be a, a different thing too, right? So you could be on the monorail, mm-hmm. going to the Magic Kingdom and see the Death Star and the TIE Fighters in the sky as well. So okay. the way that I understood it, mm-hmm. the moving things, the things that were the TIE Fighters and the X-Wing Fighters looked really, really good mm-hmm. using the AR projections. The Death Star, eh, not so much. And I think, oh, here was the other interesting thing they said that if it was a cloudy day, mm-hmm. the technology was smart enough to put the Death Star behind some of the clouds. So if the clouds were moving fast, it would pass in front of the Death Star, oh. which I think is actually a pretty great effect. It sounds very, very good. It does. It does. There's a part of me here, Glenn, that the word that comes to mind or phrase is Zapruder film. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, am I going to be able to trust anything now? Yeah, what if you... When everything looks real, what is real, right? It's a, it's there a very we go. Good question there, there we go. Ready player one. I thought it was, that was pretty fantastic. But Jim, I also found some other news. So remember, we've, we've talked about the Star Wars Hotel, mm-hmm. right? And the, when you're there and you're paying $600 a night or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're going to be there, you're also going to be playing games inside the hotel and inside the theme parks, right? Mm-hmm. We said that there will be a number of stories, a two-day story, a three-day story, a four-day story, and there may be variations on them. But one of the questions that we've not yet figured out the answer to is this. Mm -hmm. We've got 100 or 200 families all playing the same story. How are you going to coordinate that so that they could all be in the hotel playing the story and yet not run into each other while they're playing the games? Right? So how do you keep all the stories straight for all the families as they're going through their, their stay? So imagine if you've got one of these storylines where you've got to fight Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got 50 families that need to, to fight Darth Vader today. How do you make it so that they all fight Darth Vader, but there isn't a long, you know, a long line of people waiting to fight Darth Vader like he's a Las Vegas wedding chapel or something, right? Wow, this is like the storytelling equivalent of being... An air traffic controller at O'Hare. How, how are they going to pull this how off? How are you going to do it? All right. Yeah. So apparently mm-hmm. uh, it's going to come down to two things. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a guide who coordinates your story. So for lack of a better analogy, it's your dungeon master for you mm-hmm. D&D nerds out there. The dungeon master or the, your guide will narrate your story for you and tell you what you have to do next. So basically the person that, that manages your stay. But here's the other thing that they found that's clever. So, you know, in a, in a typical story, you've got an act one, act two, act three, right? Mm-hmm. For example, in A New Hope, when the uh, Luke and Leia and Han and Chewie and Obi-Wan are all on the Death Star, they've got to get off. And one of the things that they have to do to get off the Death Star is 
to disable the tractor beam, right? Mm-hmm. So your story might include steps like that. Your overarching story might be escape from the Death Star. And in order to complete that story, you may have to do several steps along the way, one of which is disable the tractor beam. And again, I don't think this is going to be an actual story. Mm-hmm. I think there, it's all going to be original stories, but because we all understand episode four, I'm using this as an analogy. So okay, sure. let's say the next step in what you have to do is disable the tractor beam, but there are already three other families who are scheduled to disable the tractor beam. The guide is going to be able to send you on side adventures, side quests, if you will, mm-hmm. while one of those families goes ahead and is in the tractor beam room. And your side quest might be something like, go find this character at the cantina or at the bar, ask them this question, get this information from them, then come back to me and we will relay that information via satellite to the rebel base. And the side quests can take any amount of time that they need. And the step like disabling the tractor beam will take a certain number of minutes that's relatively predictable. So if they need to fill in the gaps between each step, There are these side quests that will be available, and there'll be any number of them available that your story guide can send you on in order to coordinate all of these things. And the fascinating thing is, to manage all of this, they've written special computer software to do it. So your guide will be able to mix and match different side quests for you as they go. you go through your entire story. So if they need to fill in a lot of time, you might get two side adventures. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't need any, you, you might just go r- literally from one step to another. But the reason I learned about it is apparently, you know, my master's degree is in scheduling algorithms. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, this is a super complicated scheduling problem too. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And so they wrote special software to do it. And I uh, happened to pick up the conference proceedings where they talked about it. Yeah. So that's what it's going to be. You'll have these uh, side quests that you go through that will enable them to schedule everything seamlessly. And so we've learned a couple of things. One, you will have a guide Mm -hmm. who's gonna is gonna walk you through this this thing. So that's important. Two, the fact that these side quests exist means even if you do the same story twice, Mm -hmm. you'll never have the exact same set of steps. Mm -hmm. And that's super interesting as well. Well it's interesting that you talk about the scheduling component of this because a friend reminded me at I want to say the D twenty three Expo as part of an introduction of a to a presentation that a, a panel that Imagineering did, they showed footage of a playtest of a Pirates of the Caribbean themed day long adventure that supposedly No, really? Yeah. And the breakdown was fascinating. They start off it's a family at the Grand Floridian. And they actually in the Park Avenue restaurant run into a gentleman who, you know, I, I have a request. You need to go to the Magic Kingdom and deliver this for me. Sort of a Sydney Green Street kind of a guy. And mm-hmm. so you now have to walk through all of Adventureland to find this pirate character, who then, as it turns out, is sort of the hero character of your day-long story. But it turns out that one of the components of this was you're actually interacting with other families that are doing this exact same thing. Like, for example... Oh, really? There were people who stood on land as the Mark Twain went by and held up cards that spelled out a message to people who were on board the Mark Twain, (laughs) who then... And, you know, it was only toward the end of the day that, you know, the multiple families sort of converged and had this big moment where you were sort of observing, you know, the characters that had the totems that you collected and 
battling the villain who turned out was the, the gentleman you'd met at the hotel earlier in the day. Oh, really? So, yeah, but evidently that was considered a playtest for this concept. In fact, evidently they keep circling back to what they oh, learned yeah. from this pirate playtest in the park, what would work, what wouldn't work. And of course, this was constructed to be done in the Magic Kingdom, where they, what's interesting about doing it in Galaxy's Edge is they're physically building things into the land that will be on the second and third story. The comparison they made to me was a lot of the stuff that was done for Kim Possible, where you had displays that were in windows or on the second yeah. or third floor. So day guests wouldn't necessarily see this stuff, but you'd be directed to. And in that way, you use the full canvas that the people who are down at the street level and are just there for the day enjoying Galaxy's Edge will still have a fine time, a fun time exploring. But if yeah. you're over from the Star Wars Hotel, you're the one who's go down this alleyway, knock on that door, and, you know, there'll literally be a cast member uh, in there, like, here's your totem, get lost. It's not Club 33, it's Club Naboo. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So a couple of other interesting things that I found, but, oh, so going back to this, um, this software that's going to be a scheduling interactive play, apparently this is a super hot area for startups, because literally every single person whose name was on that paper has gone, has already left Disney as of December of last year, and the paper was like four months old. And... They've all left Disney for startups. Yeah. But here's a here's another interesting thing. Mm -hmm. When you're interacting with characters, especially in Galaxy's Edge, you would like for them to A, know the story, and B, be able to make up dialogue that is consistent with their character without having to have it all pre-programmed. Right? So we've all seen Westworld where they repeat the same sort of endless loop of dialogue over and over again, but then they eventually learn their own, how to, how to speak on their own. Mm -hmm. You don't want characters, especially autonomous characters, who simply repeat the same phrases over and over again. So the question is, is how do you teach a robot to talk like Star Wars? Mm -hmm. There are actually two papers that they've come up with. One of them is called Learning and Reusing Dialogue for Repeated Interactions with a Situated Social Agent. The idea behind this is it's pretty simple. You feed a character or a machine, a robot, all of the stories, all of the dialogue from all of the Star Wars movies and all of the books and all of the comic books, and it figures out the words that those characters would use, right? So if you want an Obi-Wan Kenobi, he would sound like somebody from the British Empire, right? Mm -hmm. He would talk in a sort of formal language about weapons from a uh, more civil civilized age. You know, he'd use those kinds of words. Mm -hmm. But if he's got Jar Jar Banks, then he would sound, you know, Jamaican and mm -hmm. make up silly phrases. This paper describes how you teach a machine to come up with different phrases that sound realistic for that character using examples of speech or dialogue that that character's done in the past, whether it be the books, the movies, or the comic books. Wow. And that's really interesting. No, I agree. It'd be like saying, if you wanted to learn how to talk like Jack Sparrow, going back to the Pirates of the Caribbean thing, you'd watch all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and see how Johnny Depp speaks, mm -hmm. and you'd use those words in that phrasing. The other thing that they have, and I think this one is equally good, you don't want to run out of stories. Mm -hmm. So in a similar vein, there's this paper called Inspire Me, Learning Sequence Models for Stories. Mm -hmm. And the idea is similar. You feed the robot or the machine 
all of the stories that have come before in the Star Wars universe. And then it figures out what a logical sequence of future stories would be. So for example, if the Death Star plays a central role in many stories, it might come up with a completely new story that involves the Death Star and something else. Because it's learned that the Death Star is an, is an important element of previous stories. And that's how you keep not only the characters in character, but you get them to, to learn new things without having to program it explicitly. Imagine if the machines, if the animatronics can come up with their own stories that are consistent with the canon. I think that's super interesting stuff. I agree. I just feel like this is the first 30 minutes of the, and then things <laughs> Space go, Westworld? Yes. <laughs> things go horribly wrong. So exactly. I, I guess if you don't want to be killed by the self-actualizing Disney robots, go during the first six months of Galaxy's Edge being open, folks. <laughs> if, if you see a man in black, just leave. I mean, that's just going to be a joke. There we go. <laughs> All right, Jim. Do it. Let's wrap up the show for today. On the next show, let's talk about some, uh, I know we've got some more Disney Park related news, and also we want to talk a little bit about some of the other auction stuff that we've seen with Epcot Concept Arc, right? That we do. All right, we'll do that in the next show. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. Please go into iTunes, Stitcher, or Teach a Machine to write a review of our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. For James, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.